0: If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. The blues. Lamentations chapter 3. As you and I go through life, we will experience the blues or or depression. Uh, You'll experience that with various circumstances Um, Some of them bigger, some of them smaller, but you will experience times of depression, times of heartache, times of trial. And everybody has advice for how to deal with those times. If you Google how to deal with depression, how to deal with uh, the funk, as some people might call it, or um, depression, you're going to come up with all sorts of advice. I did just that, and I'm going to share with you some of the advice I found on a couple of magazines. I'm not um, online magazines and other blogs. I'm not necessarily commending these to you. I'm just sharing with you that there's a lot of advice that can be given for dealing with uh, times of depression, times where we are down. Uh, Connect with people. Not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to connect with people. Uh, commit to a new goal. So, you know, maybe you're down because you don't have a new goal. So uh, establish a new goal. Read or watch a good movie. Um, you know, take it for what it's worth. Uh, travel. You know, <laughs> if every time we were a little depressed we took a road trip. Um, might not have a job, but you might not be as depressed, you know. Um, wait. <laughs> Just kind of wait it out. Um, exercise. That's a, that's a good thing to do, but... Um, Take it for what it's worth. Eat healthy. Once again, um, having a healthy diet does help to some extent. Uh, Get outside. um, Go for a walk. The air is nice and crisp, and it feels uh, very blue, I think. Anyways, uh, play music. uh, Laugh. Help someone else. And on and on and on the list goes. There's lots of advice that can be given, but what does the Bible tell us to do? Because we're at church, so we should probably go to the Bible for answers to how do we deal with depression, how do we deal with the blues, how do we deal with the days and the times of our life where uh, life is hard. And the Bible does provide help. The Bible does provide us with counsel. The big idea of Lamentations chapter 3 is repent of sin and call out to a faithful God. Repent of sin and call out to a faithful God. If you would, uh, let's read Lamentations chapter 3 together. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone. And keep silent, because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him, and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. To crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due to a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You have made us and offscoring and refuse in the midst of the peoples all our enemies have opened their mouths against us fear and a snare have come upon us desolation and destruction my eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people my eyes flow and do not cease Without interruption, till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies, without cause, hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit. They threw stones at me. The waters flowed over my head. I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You... "'Have heard my voice. "'Do not hide your ear from my sign, "'from my cry for help. "'You drew near on the day I called on you and said, "'Do not fear. "'O Lord, you have pleaded the case of my soul. "'You have redeemed my life. "'O Lord, you have seen how I am wronged. "'Judge my case. "'You have seen all their vengeance, "'all their schemes against me. "'You have have heard their reproach, O Lord.' All their schemes against me. The lips of my, uh, my my enemies. And their whisperings against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them in your anger. Pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that on the days when life seems like everything is going wrong and it feels like you have forsaken us and that you have become a lion, you have become a bear who is taking us and is shredding us to pieces, that you are in fact there, that you are in fact a God who still cares And that you desire for us to come to you with repentant hearts, to examine ourselves, to see areas where we possibly have sinned against you. And as we confess those, you promise that even if the circumstances all around us don't change, that you are a faithful God and that we can continue to trust you. We pray that that would be true of us today. In your name we pray. Amen. The author begins by saying he feels forsaken, and he describes this with some really strong language, right? I mean, some of this language, like, if I were to say to you, out of the confines of Scripture, you might be like, is Pastor David even a Christian anymore? Like, can a Christian say things like this? This is pretty, like, strong vocabulary, right? It is. It is very strong vocabulary. In verses 1 through 6, he says, God brings us into dark places. And he describes that with a number of different phrases. He starts off by saying, God's rod of his wrath is against him. He's made him to walk in dark places. And he has turned his hand against him time and time again. He goes on in verse 4 and he says, His... Flesh and his skin and his bones are being broken. They're being hurt. He's besieged with bitterness and woe. Not with an army. No, with with the strong emotions of the pain that he's experiencing. He feels like he has been besieged. And if you and I are honest with one another, we sometimes feel those same emotions. We feel like the Things that we are going through have besieged us, and we're in the midst of a war, and that God is against us. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. What is the author doing here? I actually think he's picking up on Psalm 23. If you would, keep a marker in Lamentations, because we won't be gone long, but go with me to Psalm chapter 23. Or Psalm 23, sorry. Psalm 23. And most of you know the ideas of Psalm 23. But I think what the author of Lamentations is doing, he's saying, what Psalm 23 says is true is not what I'm experiencing. I'm experiencing the exact opposite. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. That's not where he's being led. Right? No. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's where he is, but it appears as if God is right there with him, taking him through it, caring for him. I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort him. What's happening in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 1? It's not comforting. Okay? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup runs over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay? I think what the author of Lamentations is doing is he's saying what Psalm 23 promises is not what I'm experiencing. What I'm experiencing is hard, it's painful, it's cruel. And he goes on in verses 7 through 9. He says, God has barricaded the author and rejects his prayers. And so he uses a number of different ways of describing how God has barricaded him and does not allow his prayers to reach God. He's crying out to God and God does not answer. He has hedged me. In so that I cannot get out, he has made my chains heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. Once again, very, very painful language. I mean, the thought of being able to try and cry out to God and to express his emotions and to ask God to intercede and to act on his behalf, and he says... God's not listening. God's put a wall around me and he's chained me up and he doesn't listen. Doesn't feel like God cares. And then in verses 10 through 11, he says, God is a ferocious bearer lion. And he describes the, the results of that in verse 11. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. Very strong emotions, very strong feelings as he's experiencing what God is allowing him to go through. And he says, God, do you care? He continues to describe what's going on. He says, God is a fierce warrior. What is the warrior doing? He's pulling, pulling back his bow and he's shooting the author. Verse 3, he has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. And then in verse 14, the result of this is ridicule and taunting. That is what he's experiencing from those who see him. As people watch what he's going through in life, they make fun of him. They say, How could you be someone who loves God and experience these things? Verse 14, I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. But he goes on and he continues to say how God has treated him. In verses 15 through 16, he's pretty much saying God has treated him treacherously. God has been bad. That is what he's saying. Verse 16, he has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel. That's kind of gross. I don't like the idea of that. You probably don't either. And covered me with ashes. And then he moves on to say the result of that is all peace and hope are lost. As a result of God being a bear and a lion who's devouring him, who's tearing him in pieces. As a result of God being a fierce warrior who pulls back the bow and shoots him. As a result of God being a God who is willing to treat him treacherously allow him to have the wormwood and allow him to have the bitterness and allow him to face the uh, breaking of his teeth with gravel, he says, all peace and hope are lost. I don't know what to turn to. I don't know what to do. Verses 18, 17 and 18. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord pretty much, what else is there for me? Because if this is how God is dealing with me, then there's absolutely no hope. And pretty much what he's saying is, there is a uh, a junction in the road with one side going to death and the other side says, there has to be hope around the corner or else I'm going to death because this is how bad my circumstances are. This is how horrible my experience is. Life is too hard. I can't continue on in this way. That is what he is describing for us. My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. It's very, very strong emotions, very, very strong language. Sometimes we feel forgotten and our soul sinks as well. Sometimes we feel this way as well. And as you and I experience these emotions, go to God and tell God, this is how I'm feeling. My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. And then he reminds himself something. Remember my... Or he's talking to God and he tells God to remember. Remember my affliction and roaming the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. As he remembers... And he asks God to remember. His soul sinks. But what is it that brings the psalmist back to hope? What is it that provides you and I with hope? He tells us in verse 21 that something is recalled to his mind. Something is brought back to his memory. And as he meditates on this truth that is brought back to his memory, his soul is revived and the junction that he was at, where it said one side said, There is only death ahead of you, and the other side said, There is still hope. What brought him back from saying, All that I have left is death? Why could he choose hope? This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. How does the author bring himself out of the funk? It's not by, you know, connecting with people. It's not by committing to a new goal. It's not by reading or watching a good movie. As fun as those things might be. What brings him out is remembering God's faithfulness. Remembering who God is. And as he meditates on who God is, he's going to instruct us how we are also to respond to God's faithfulness. And as we respond to God's faithfulness, It should be a source of encouragement and a reminder that even though difficult days are ahead, difficult days have passed us, that we also can choose to remain faithful to God regardless of the circumstances around us. He begins by saying God's merciful faithfulness restores our hope. Verse 22 Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in the Lord. Why does he have hope? Because he looks back and he says, God has been faithful in the past. And because God has been faithful in the past, I can trust that He will continue to be faithful in the future, and He is faithful today, regardless of whether or not I can physically see or understand or comprehend what I am going through. And if you remember, we've we've said before, and we'll say it one more time when we get to chapter four. Chapters one, two, three, and four are an acrostic poem. So every word of chapter 1, every verse of chapter 1, um, the first letter of that chap- verse begins with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In chapter 3, every three verses begin with the same letter. And so he's going to describe for us what is good. And the word good is what starts every single one of those verses in the Hebrew. He's saying, I've considered every aspect of suffering. I've considered every aspect of who God is. And even though pain in this life is very real and it feels like God has forsaken me, I can still trust in God. I've considered every aspect from A to Z. And here he says, good, good, good. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks after him. Are you and I waiting on God as we go through the hard times? Are we seeking after God? That is who God is good to. Are we people who are waiting? Are we people who are seeking God? It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The same idea. He does it for repetition, not because it's a brand new concept. Once again, he wants us to wait. Are you and I waiting? Are you and I waiting? It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. And then in verse 28 through 30, he describes for us how one is to wait for the Lord. In verses 25, 26, 27, he told you, it's good to wait, it's good to wait, it's good to wait. you're like, all right, how do I wait, right? That's, That's what you should be thinking like. And he answers that question for you in verses 28, 29, 30. Let him sit alone and keep silent, because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust, there may yet be hope. That is talking about the humility that we're supposed to approach God. As we, as we wait, it's supposed to be with humility. And so take a prostrate uh, posture as you approach him. Be humble is the idea. Verse 30, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. Be willing to accept the punishments from God and be full of reproach. Don't be happy about your sin. Repent is what he's getting at. I've summarized it this way acknowledging God's power, trusting God, be humble and accept the situation as coming from God. That's really what he's saying. That's how we wait. We acknowledge God is in control even though it doesn't feel like God is in control. It feels like God is forsaken. But we still acknowledge that God is in control. We choose to trust God through the hard times of life. And then we accept the situation as coming from God. That is how we ensure that we wait. And as we wait, we do so well, so that it turns out for good. Maybe not good that you'll ever see in this life. A lot of things that we go through never appear to us to be good in this life. But he says it is good because God is in control. God's power is watching over it all. And we can trust him, we can be humble, and we accept the situation as coming from God. But then he moves on and he assures us that the pain will not last forever, and that doesn't mean that in this life you will be delivered from the pain. If you remember, we've we've said a couple of times, Lamentations five ends with him asking God to deliver. Lamentations chapter five doesn't record that the situation's all bright and cheerful, and they're in this beautiful valley with mountain ranges all around and a sunset on one side. That's not how Lamentations chapter five ends. And your life might not end that way either. I'd be happy for you if it did. But that's not guaranteed. But the pain will not last forever. Verses 31 through 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. God doesn't want you to go through this stuff. You have to remember, Lamentations chapter 3 is written, the the pain that they're experiencing, the heartache they're experiencing, the fact that they feel like God has forsaken them as a result of their own sin. And the author says, God does not want them to feel this pain. He wants to deliver. Why? Why? God is a champion of justice. In verses 34 through 36, God is a champion of justice. To crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice due a man before the face of the Most High, or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. God is a champion of justice. That's why he can make the claim that the pain will not last forever because God will deliver. God's mercy is near. Then in verses 37 through 9, he once again reminds himself, reminds the community that God is in control and that we are not to doubt his plan. Verse 37, Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Can you ensure that something will happen? some degree, maybe. You might be able to have a little bit of authority at your job, but ultimately God's over even that, right? That's what he's saying. God is in ultimate control. Verse 38, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being fall? Isn't God the one who controls whether or not we feel like God is forsaken or we feel like God is blessing us beyond what we could have ever imagined? And the answer is Yes, God is the one who is in control of that as well. Verse 39, why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Why should we be complaining when God is punishing us for our sins? He then wants us to move from here to a place where we cry out in faith. Cry out in faith, asking God to resolve the situation, yes. But there's even a bigger way, a more important way, in which we all must cry out to God in this passage. It says, examine your life and repent of sin. In verses 40 through 42. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. He has we have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. It's interesting, isn't it? can't remember. I think it was Psalm 86 that we sang earlier today. And it talks about how God is a God who is quick to forgive. It's either Psalm 85 or 86. I can't remember. But it talks about how God is quick to forgive. And yet here he says, you have not pardoned. It's an interesting contrast. Why, why here is he not pardoning? Because of their consistent pattern of sin. But as you and I look at our life, if you're a believer, what God wants you to do is to honestly examine your life. And as you see areas of sin, he wants you to say, that thought right there that I had about that person... Is wrong. And God does not approve of that thought. The anger that I demonstrated as I was corrected by a police officer, as I was corrected by my parents, as I was corrected by my employer was wrong. And I repent of that. God wants us to examine our life in all the various areas. And as we examine our motivations and our intents and our desires, and we see areas where we as believers have failed to live up to God's holy high standard, He wants us to come humbly before Him, right? If you go back to um, verse 29, "...let Him put His mouth in the dust." The idea is humbling yourself before God as you come before him. It takes a lot of humility to ask for forgiveness. It really does. Whether it be coming to your wife and telling your wife, I've sinned, that's a lot of humility. And when you're going to God and you're telling God, I've sinned, that takes a lot of humility as well. What he wants us to do is humble ourselves and to confess our sin. That's for the believer. But if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, This applies to you as well. God wants you to examine your life. As you look at your life, you will see that there are areas in your life where you have sinned, where you have failed to obey God's holy word. And if you understand Scripture, the Scriptures are very clear that if we break even one of God's commandments, break even one of God's rules, that we are guilty of all of them. You say, well, I've never murdered. Guilty of them all. You want to live by the law, you have to do it all. And so how does God allow you and I, people who have sinned numerous times, if we're to be honest, we've, we've all sinned in the last seven days, at least probably we all in some way sinned yesterday. How can we be reconciled to God? It's because Jesus Christ came as God sent him to the earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died, and three days later, he raised again. He paid the payment for your sins. Your sins brought about God's wrath. God is angry with your sins. God is angry with my sins. But Jesus Christ came and died, and as a result, God's wrath is appeased. And if you're willing to place your faith in Jesus Christ and say, I have nothing in and of myself that would make me okay with God, that would make me righteous with God, I'm trusting in what Jesus Christ has accomplished and what he has accomplished only. Not in my baptism, not in my church attendance, not in the fact that I give, not in the fact that I have a nice family. It's only through Christ's work that I'm able to stand before God and to be justified. That is what Christ wants. But he wants all of us to examine our lives and to repent of sin. He moves on then, and he talks about God's anger prohibiting his prayers. He he goes back to the same type of thing that he's talked about earlier. This is coming up again. The, The fact that he's been hedged around, he's been barricaded, and as a result, God does not hear. Verses 43 through 45, You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an offscoring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. He moves on. The pain mixes with mocking, destruction, and tears in verses 46 through 48. All your enemies have opened their mouth against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us. Desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Extreme sorrow, extreme pain right here. He's going to continue to use this imagery of water. The tears remain until God acts on their behalf. He cries out and asks God to do something. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption. Just crying and crying and crying because of the pain. Till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees, I'm going to remain in this pain. Until God acts. So he's asking God to act. Because until God acts, the pain remains. The city has been destroyed. Moms have been eating their kids. There's no food. The people have been taken captive. It's very sad. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. Feels like everyone is out to kill him. Once again the water imagery will come up in verse fifty four. My eye my enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird, They're hunting him like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit, and once he was in the pit, they threw stones at him. And the waters flowed over my head. As he's in the pit, the waters are rising. And what does he say? I said, I am cut off. The waters are like right up to here. I'm about to drown. Help do something He cries to God and God hears. Verses 55 through 57. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my sighing, from my crying for help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, "Do not fear." God hears, and as God hears, he's coming, and what does he ask God to do? He asks God to act on his behalf. Verses 58 through 66. O Lord, you have pleaded the case of my soul. You have redeemed my life, O Lord. You have seen how I am wronged. Judge my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies and their whisperings against me all that day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them. In your anger, pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. And that's where it ends. And it doesn't say anything about God doing it. Chapter 4 is going to go by. And still, he's calling out for God to do something, and he's expressing the strong emotions that he's going through. But God doesn't respond, but he chooses to still trust. Chapter 5 goes by, and he's still calling out for God to act, for God to do something. Chapter 5 ends, and we're not in a beautiful valley with green trees all around and a beautiful sunset. It's the same song, fifth verse. What does Lamentations chapter three want us to do? At the end of the uh, at the end of the author's prayer in Lamentations three, nothing has changed in the circumstances, but he chooses to trust God. Lamentations th- chapter three wants us to examine our life and repent of unconfessed sin. Examine your life and repent of unconfessed sin. Repentance means that you change. And so, if you say, Well, I repented yesterday, but I did it again today, then either you didn't really repent, or you need to repent again. Because so we still sin. I sin regularly. Ask Bethany. Ask Anastasia. Well, Anastasia can't really tell you. But I sin re- repeatedly. I have to continually go to God and repent, I have to continually go to people and repent. But it see, it means that we seek to change. And if you're not a believer, it means that you need to realize that you are a sinner, that Jesus Christ is a great Savior, and that your only hope of being reconciled to God is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. That is your only hope. Tell God your pain, and then ask Him to deliver you from the pain. You are experiencing. And whether or not the pain and the trials and the heartache of this life ever go away, you choose to continue to trust God because He is faithful. As Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 say. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are faithful and that we can trust you even when we feel like you and the whole world is against us we know that you are faithful that you have been faithful in the past that you have been you will be faithful in the future and that you are faithful today even if nothing around us appears to tell us that in your name we pray amen let me make you